listening to I Quit My Job, a podcast about songwriting, with your hosts, Travis Reitzma and Derek Harrison. I quit my job. I quit my job. I quit my job. I'm free today. Hey, everybody. It's Travis Reitzma here. I'm taking my shot at doing an intro for once because it uh, hasn't happened yet. Uh, today we have uh, an interesting episode. Uh, it's it's going to be split into two parts, actually. We released the first one today, and then uh, the second part, uh, maybe tomorrow or the next day. Not quite sure yet. Uh, but we have uh, Taylor Ashton from uh, the BC-located band Fish and Bird. Uh, it's just, well, this is a fascinating conversation. Uh, the reason we had to split it into two parts is because, quite honestly, we talked for almost two hours, and it was really hard to cut any of it. Uh, he's a fascinating guy. He's... he. You can tell that he really has, he really thinks about songwriting and, uh, and what, what it means to be a songwriter. So it was really important for us to, to leave the entire interview intact and, and let you hear it as a, as, a, as a full conversation. The first time I ever heard uh, Fish and Bird, I was on tour with Derek in 2009, and we were listening to, I think at the time, what was their latest uh, release, uh, Left Brain Blues. And um, on that album, there's a song called Mark My Grave, which is just it's one of those sort of dark minor key folk songs that just really hits you and during our conversation with taylor it came up that he was 19 years old when he wrote that song and uh it it just kind of blew my mind it sort of shows you how incredible of a songwriter he he is he's now 25 years old and he and you know i think fish and bird has released four albums now and uh it's really incredible to hear how good he was so early on. Just not not even in lyric writing or in song uh, construction, but just how he was very aware of what worked and what didn't as a songwriter. In fact, uh, you'll hear a snippet of that song uh, before we get into our conversation. So as I said, this interview, so good, split into two parts. In the first part, which you're about to hear, what are you going to hear? You're going to hear about busking about how taylor has sort of fine-tuned his craft as a performer by busking uh we talk about briefly about social justice songwriting uh something that taylor isn't really comfortable doing and uh and why that is uh we talk about we get a little sociological because i tend to do that uh we talk about songwriting and the self uh and the transient quality of transient sorry quality of songs we talk about the about uh, Taylor Taylor's um, Mount Rushmore of songwriters: uh, Kurt Cobain and Nirvana, Tom York and Radiohead, and of course Elliot Smith. Uh, we talk about the loaded nature of folk music and many other things. It's a really great philosophical conversation. Uh, the second part of the conversation, which you'll hear later in the week, uh, talks more about his experiences with his band Fish and Bird and sort of their process of songwriting. So again, what you're about to hear is from the album Left Brain Blues by Fish and Bird, released in 2009 on Fiddlehead Records. The song is Mark My Grave. Thank you. 
Don't forget me when I'm gone Paint my face with a thousand suns And put it there up in the sky For to guide your sails by Grieve with an apple tree And let the ripe and fruited boys Shape your diet evermore I've sort of started. I've started busking in the in the last year or so, and it's something that I've never really uh, did before. Um, and I, you know, I started playing music like ten years ago, um, and I think so. It's it's been kind of neat coming at it from a slightly sort of more more experienced angle than I think is like the traditional. You know, it's it's sort of seen as a really good way to kind of get your just get your chops. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. You kind of like. It's this, you know, there's no, there's no booking. You just go and you kind of, you see if you suck or not. And if you suck, you get better. And, mm-hmm. um, it's this sort of really direct feedback. That's and how it started out for me is it was, I didn't, I was terrible when I started busking. Awesome. And, uh, and, but then I have this feeling today that like I've grown out of it. 
which I think is stupid. Right. Now that I say it out loud. <laughs> well, Whereas you're doing the opposite. Yeah. And so I guess like, and, and it has been funny kind of talking to some, some friends of mine where I'm, I'm, I think that's where a lot of people are at with it, where they kind of, they feel like they put in their years busking and then they're like, paid their dues. They paid their dues and now they're above it. And it's like, they'd prefer to make like 20 bucks at a bar for playing for like five hours, playing some music that yeah. they don't even like. I think, yeah, and you're making less money usually. You're make, you make less, you know, it's like you'd rather take, it's like somehow that gig is is more like dignified or something than like <laughs> going it. out, playing songs That's you like. It it's legitimate. It's, and I think it's psychological. It's yeah. like, I'm doing this for real now. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. <laughs> it's like now that I'm, you know, I'm plugging into like a four channel mixer and then with, into a speaker with a busted tweeter, like. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no risk of rain. Well, it's yeah, big, I guess yeah. there is yeah. risk of electrocution, though. Yeah. There is, yeah. When you're playing in these, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, so it's just been, it's been cool to come at it from this angle because uh, I have like a huge repertoire of songs that I've, I've learned over the, you know, the, since I picked up a guitar and, uh, and I'm playing, you know, everything from something I learned yesterday to, to like the very first, you know, among the very first songs I ever learned how to play, I'm, I'm uh, playing when I'm busking and, and it's really it's really helped me. Uh, it's, it's, it's been interesting seeing what people respond to. Um, and, uh, I mean, like I'm inspired by playing my own music at shows and like with fish and bird and, and when, you know, I do sort of solo shows here and there. Do you play a lot of your own material when you're busking? Uh, almost none. Mm, I, I don't really? know. I don't know why it is. I just kind of have like, I, I, I haven't got there yet somehow. Like I, I would like to, but, at the same time, like, I I want to, you know, I kind of want to, you know, I don't know. It's just people, I feel like people have, um, they don't have that much time when they're, mm. they're walking by you and they're like on their way to work or they're on their way to whatever, or, you know, that it's just a, when you can play something for someone that even if they just kind of recognize it, then it it's sort of this way in that you can kind of like, you sort of pull someone out of their whatever mm-hmm. it is that they're thinking about or even sometimes they have already got music that's got going straight in. into their yeah. skull um that it's it sort of helps to for them to be like oh wait a second i think i know this um so so is it all about the familiarity is that the most important part well it's it's in a, that environment it's really hard to say because something that has tripped me out is has been playing songs that i think of as so famous um that then people come up to me and they're like, excuse me, did you write that song? What song is that? And one of the, one of the ones that that's happened a few times is, is the song Harvest Moon by Neil Young. Uh, I've had people come up to me and who don't know that song and they yeah, just, which is incredible. Yeah. It's which, you know, blows my mind. And it's, it's like, I, you know, I don't want to make them feel stupid for not, because I'm really actually, what, you've never heard that song. Yeah, yeah. I'm so excited for them that they're hearing it for the first time because like, cause now they're going to go check out Neil Young and maybe they'll, they'll yeah. find something about it's him. So, they like. so trippy to be like, Oh yeah, it's Neil Young. You should really check him out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> cause he's like 72 years old. Like, yeah. Years, and yeah. like, you know, he put out like, you know, when is harvest, you know, it's just like, that's, yeah. it seems like such a fat part of the fabric of, yeah. of the universe. Like, see, I'm mm-hmm. tempted to say that, like, it's great and you're almost jealous of when a song that you think is one of your really favorite songs and is a truly great song and you're kind of jealous of the idea that someone's getting to hear it for the first time. Oh, yeah. But mm-hmm. what I wonder, there's another side of my brain that's going like, well, what if I think it's shit? 
What if the reason why I really love it is because the person who heard it the first time really loved it, and now I'm just stuck with it? And like, because I'm my I, the way I listen to music is different from it as was when I discovered the Harvest album. I know that's not the album that Harvest Moon is off of, confusingly, but right. <laughs> I don't know if I would if me hearing that for the first time would have the same effect on me. Oh yeah, totally. I know yeah. what you mean, and uh, it's uh, that's definitely. I mean, you you can't replace like uh, songs have to have their their time and place. Yeah, and you, there's no real way to to replace that. And that's that's one of the real trippy things about about writing songs. Like, if there was some way that you could guarantee, like, you can write whatever, however great of a song you want, but if you could somehow engineer your song so that someone heard it like the first time they like smoked a joint with like a girl they had a crush on when they were like 20. Like you could engineer when they, when yeah. they heard it. Cause that, that does have like a lot to do with why I love the songs I do, for instance. Totally. I mean, like I'll, I'll listen to uh, transistor radio by M Ward, which is one of my favorite albums. And as soon as I listen to it, I go back to this relationship that I had where <laughs> it was just like this awful, horrible heartbreak. But, but then again, on the flip side, you're saying about Harvest Moon that there's people who've never heard it in the street and they're, it's such a strong song that they're going, even though they've never heard it before, going, oh my God, I need to know what the song is. Yeah. And, and it's like, it's kind of, it's kind of beautiful because I'm like, oh, I'm like, I'm kind of standing at like one of the, at like the, one of the like orifices of this song where it's like, this is where it's like entering into someone's brain for the first time <laughs> and it's like doing its magic. Because, like, to me, it's like I'm immune to it, sort of. I'm actually, yeah. with that song in particular, I could hear someone sing it anytime. And I've probably sung that song probably a thousand times this year, or maybe more. And because it's actually in the, it's in the Fish and Bird set, too. It's one of our few covers <laughs> that we do. And Oh, I miss you didn't do it the last time I saw you play, unfortunately. Well, yeah, I guess we've kind of, we kind of did it a lot for a while. And we, we decided, uh, we sort of had to, t- we decided to take a break from it a little bit. Um, and uh and it's it's funny because when i busk i do it a little bit more like the neil young version and mm-hmm. fish and bird we kind of have a bit more of like our own sort of take on the rhythm and all this stuff but it's funny like i was i was actually hanging out with a friend yesterday who i don't think necessarily knows that i know that song and was just like we were just like sitting around you know just like playing songs and like chatting and like just like drinking tea and stuff and then she just like started playing that song hmm. and i was just like <laughs> I was like, oh, I love this song. It's, a, <laughs> it's one of those ones that just kind of gets me every time. And I don't know how it... Uh... So I was about to say I'm like immune to it now. It's just like... But and that's a bad example. You're immune to yourself playing it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, not always, actually. That's like one when I'm busking that I'm like... I'll be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like while I'm playing it, mm-hmm. it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I guess it's good to like... It's good to, to chase that, that feeling because like that's really... That's how you should feel when you're singing a song is like, oh, you know, like... It should, you know, if you if you want people to to be to feel something, you from, have to feel it. Yeah, yeah and it, yeah, because otherwise mm-hmm. you're you're really asking a lot. And it's just, that particular fact. It, it's surprising how long, as a musician, how long it took me to learn that. I think I only learned that within the last year is mm. when I realized, oh, when I'm on stage, I have to really be feeling this. Otherwise, they're not going to give a shit. Yeah, and mm. so I'm like, oh. And it seems like such a basic, necessary thing for any performer to yeah. know. That's, I mean, and it took, but there's this idea around music, especially around like when you're writing your own music. I think a lot of people, um, out of maybe out of self consciousness, think like 
it's the audience's responsibility to respond to get to what it. I'm doing. Yeah. If, and if they don't get it, they're just not listening. Yeah, hard exactly. Enough. You're not yeah. listening to the lyrics or something, you know, whereas, yeah. whereas if you're conveying that they should be listening mm-hmm. to it. So do you find that you get that feeling from your, from your own stuff, from your own songs? When you, can you really yeah. ri- written a song you think is great? Do you get that sort of same, like, man, people are going to love this. And so maybe you exude that a bit more. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely like, I've noticed that, that the, the songs that I, can kind of more easily get myself into a pl- that back to the place that the song is talking about or that back to that feeling that those, it really seems like people like those songs more um, that are, you know, I guess it's just about it being, it being personal. And mm-hmm. I, I really, I've made a, I've made kind of an effort to try and sort of stand out of my own way in some ways, as far as when like, talking like thinking about emoting within a song and because it seems like that's what it's about do you mean during the writing process or during the performance Mm, i guess sort of both um um, because it just seems like i just the 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 more and more i do this like try and write songs for the for for people to you know listen to and like want to listen to more than once or whatever it is uh it seems like there's something about being, being, it just, it, it there's, I, it, I feel like the journey to being direct and honest is just an endless, it's like the horizon, you know, it's hmm. like, you can just, you just like, are, I'm always trying to head there in some way. Every um, time you think you've made, I feel the same way. And every, it's like, every time you think, oh, you got a little bit closer to yourself, then you just know, oh, there's, oh, there's you just see how much, yeah, how much more. Actually, you know, that reminds me of a, a line in one of your songs Oh wow. um, where you're, uh, how high is the ladder? What does it matter when all I can see is the next rung? Yeah. It's the same sort of thing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And I guess... Totally planned, right? <laughs> that's... that's. A, I mean, that's... Well, I always read that metaphor as an industry-related... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Comment. Well, I mean, that's... I mean, as with, like, so many of my songs, like, the, the all the... A lot of the specifics are very much about, like relationships and and I, I sometimes wonder i'm just like should i be worried about the fact that these are all just love songs <laughs> <laughs> and like am i do I have some kind of responsibility to like try and like cover it up well cover it up or just like if i'm like if i'm on the stage and people are listening like i've got like just i would like for people to like i'd like to i don't know i, I really admire people who have like a social justice message or like an environmental message and it's just it's whenever I've, you know, I've tried to sit down and get that kind of thing out. It's, it, it doesn't feel, I don't know. I, I've had, I've had some, some conversations with lots of friends about this kind of thing, but it, it doesn't feel like my, my place somehow. Like it just doesn't. Mm. I, and I wonder if that's just something like maybe, maybe that the version of me that would write those songs is like a totally different songwriter that I need to just like nurture in a completely different way. You know, like that. Yeah, and then like, it's interesting because I because I've written a lot of like political songs, and I feel myself going away from it now for that very reason. Huh? Like not because I don't know about the things that uh, that I'm writing about. Like I, I, I think I'm a pretty well-read guy. I, wa- I watch the news, you know. But like, I, I just, than me. <laughs> but I, but I feel I feel at the same time that it's just it's it's sometimes difficult because I am, for instance, like I'm I'm a white male heterosexual man. You know, like I can't 
necessarily put myself in the place of a lot of the people that I'm trying to sing about. And so it goes back to that whole honesty thing, like how honest are you being with yourself? And obviously you can have a take on what's going on. And yeah. You can do that and people do it very well. But I feel like I, I personally have been going away from that over the years. But is songwriting not just a form of creative writing and a form of it storytelling is, yeah. where it's total, like someone like John Prine will always sit in another character when mm-hmm. he writes a song? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't know if he always does that, but um, but it makes me, it sounds a bit to me like there's a question of what you're allowed to write about. That's that's a hard... And yeah. I don't know how to face that question. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and you mentioned before how you almost, you think that maybe that's a different version of yourself that you just haven't nurtured yet. And it's kind of this this interesting way of, of, of thinking... Um, I'm, I'm a sociology PhD student, so I'm always thinking about these like sociological theories and how they relate to, to other things. And, and I was thinking earlier about, uh, there's this guy named George Simmel that, that wrote about how you can't, when you're interacting with someone else, you can, you can get clues and different things based on what they tell you about who they are as a person, what their true self is, but you can never actually know their full true self because oh, yeah. they're never going to reveal it to you. But then he t- kind of turns it on the person and says, but they also can't know themselves. That there's no real way that every everything you're doing is a construction of yourself, and so there's no real true self to even strive for. Right. Do you feel that like when you're writing a song, do you do you feel like you're striving? Like you said, you're trying to get more honest with yourself. Do you feel like you're striving for a true self, or do you feel you're just trying to put it all together in a way that works? Um, I mean, I guess like I have this idea that like it just it just seems like. Um, that that true self place like as close as that gets like the closer that gets the closer to some kind of um, it seems like the closer you get to your own honest personal self almost the more relatable you are Mm -hmm. Um, in in some ways uh, even though uh, you know everybody's everyone's experience is so is really different and um, and people you know, it is really hard or actually, I mean, I guess, yeah, impossible, um, to communicate your, your whole, your whole experience. You can't. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, that's just to me, the way that I, the way that like I have chosen to look at the world, I've just sort of accept that as a hard fact Mm -hmm. that, you know, there's just like probably 99% of the truth of what it means to be me is not communicable to anybody, you know, it's Mm -hmm. just like, yeah. Um, so, and, do you, so do you feel like it's it's more of a collective history type thing? Like you're, it's almost like you said, like the more true, the more true to yourself you get, the more relatable you are. So does that sort of tap into something like what it means to be human? Then, yeah, I guess so. Because like, I I wrote I, I wrote this song. I'm not even sure if it's a if it's a good song or whether it'll end up on an album ever. But it was called I Too, and it was because I was having this idea <laughs> that um, that those the great songs are the ones where you're just like, oh yes yeah me too you know like <laughs> like thank you for saying that because like i so feel that and like and it's just like somehow like someone by kind of expressing something that you can you can relate and see yourself in it's almost like it liberates you and it's like it can be such a yeah. just to listen even like even just to like one really great line that you're just like i've never heard anybody say that before and like <laughs> it's like it it's so like euphoric to just I mean, even just, I feel like that's in, in Harvest Moon as a, as a great example, just when he says like, I'm like, because I'm still in love with you like that, even just the way that he says that and the way that it's over the 
music and the chorus. Like, it's just like, there's something just like really just true about that sentiment that I even feel like people who have never been in love once, like they're just like, it's, it resonates Hmm. really hard with something about just the, you know, architecture of the human brain or something Mm -hmm. like it's just, but do you think true being truly universal? Is that a possibility even, you know, there's, there's corners of, 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 um, of the human experience and the human condition. And it's like, you know, I'm sure there's something about like, well, I mean, I have a funny experience, like listening to a song, like, like America by, by Paul Simon, where it's, I, I, there is, I feel like there's something in that, in that song that's talking about an experience that I don't have and I haven't had mm-hmm. and that it might actually, it might mean more to me if it was something that I knew a little better. Right. And yet, I mean, like there's a lot in the song that, that, that really works for me and I get kind of like a half of a I two out of it where I'm just <laughs> like, oh yeah, totally. And then like the other half, I'm kind of like, yeah, you know, like. So, so for this particular song, I too, um, did you sit down with the intention of writing about that and of trying to produce that feeling? Well, uh, sort of. I, I had this. I had this song. It was like I'd had these a uh, series of dreams um, where I was hearing the my favorite song ever, and it was being sung to me by somebody that I knew. Was it a real song or was it in the dream no, it invented? No, it was like one of those dream songs. Yeah. <laughs> and I think this is probably something that, that songwriters go through and probably mm-hmm. people of all sort of mediums where you, you see the, you like in, in your dream, you're having the experience of listening to the perfect song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like Tenacious D with Tribute. It's, a, it's yeah, about that feeling. It, it's totally exactly about that. And it's just, and then when you, it's, I don't know, there's this always this, at least for me, there's this stupid thing where I wake up and thinking even, it's a real song, and you're yeah, like, I gotta you, write it down or try to figure out what it is. Because like there is that sort of transitional <laughs> period where, that where like between being asleep and then like you know being fully responsible, mm-hmm. you know, and conscious. Because in that like half an hour or so, there's there's this part of me that's like, oh well, obviously I'll be able to access that anytime, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And every time it happens, of course, you still think it's going to work, but always it never ever does. <laughs> never. And you never learn from that mistake. Never. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of great because it's just like, it. I mean, it's almost like, oh, I did it again. But like, <laughs> probably even if I could, if someone could just be like, you know, splash, if someone could like know like, okay, they were like looking at my brain activity and they're like, he's listening to the perfect song right now. And then they like splash water in there and they were like, write, write it, it down. down. I would be like... You know, I'd probably like draw a picture of a banana and like, <laughs> you know, I'd be like trying to like, you know, it would be like something about it. Like it would, I just feel like it wouldn't actually translate to words and sounds. No, I don't you know think I mean? so. You know, like when I come up with a great thing in my head and I'll try to write. I mean, it's even the case when like I'm on the subway and I come up with a melody that's like, oh, I think that's a really strong melody. And I yeah. go home and I play it on the guitar and I'm like, this yeah, sucks. Or this it's somebody tough. else's melody. You're playing it. You're like, oh wait, that's that Dylan song or something. Oh, that know? hasn't happened to me that often. Yeah, see, like, it's usually just a melody that just doesn't sound good at all. Right. See, my I mind. Think, I think what happens to me because I've I've dreamt an actual melody before, and then it's the same thing. You wake up and you go to write it down, and you, you can't or you can't think of what it was. And I think that's because like oftentimes, at least for me, what melody is, it just gives you this feeling. It just gives you that, like you said, it, I know I'm listening to the perfect song, even though I don't know what the perfect song is. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it just 
it becomes an emotion. That melody becomes almost an emotion to you. And so you may not actually be hearing any melody. You're just feeling an emotion that you're connecting with some melody mm-hmm. in your head. And that's so it's literally impossible for you to then translate it to the real world from the dream. Yeah, because the melody to do that part before. is your brain is... Um, Creating the same chemicals that you when you yeah. hear a really great melody or something. The part that gives me hope is that there are songs that are like kind of perfect. Mm-hmm. out there like there's a mm-hmm. there's a handful of songs and i hear i feel like i hear like one or two new ones every year where i'm like that's pretty good mm-hmm. one or two is a lot <laughs> yeah of, of like truly almost perfect songs. yeah or i mean it, it, it might be just that they're perfect for a time or place but where i'm just like i'm just like oh i could just live in this song and i mm-hmm. just like listen to it a hundred million times and like um so what makes how do, what makes for you? I know this is a loaded question, but what makes for you a perfect song? Well, I guess it's it's <laughs> uh, it's. I think it kind of changes actually, um, and I think that's kind of part of what's uh, what's what's cool about the this whole weird pursuit is that it is that it changes, and um, you know, there's probably songs that you know, if I've heard them recently and been like, wow, like this is just knocks me off my ass and tells me like, teaches me something new about myself. Mm -hmm. And like, then, you know, it's, it might, it might be that if I heard it for the first time in like two years, I might just be like, Oh, well, whatever. Or if I'd like heard it when I was 15 or something, it might not have done anything for me. Um, and there's probably songs that when I heard them when I was 15, I was just like, oh, my God, you know. And then now I'm just kind of like, whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah, that I, semi-sonic song just doesn't hold up. Yeah, somehow, <laughs> yeah. I don't, go, I don't often go back to the stuff I listened to as a teenager because I'm almost universally disappointed. Right. Yeah. Like For, the stuff that was really great, I'll listen to and be like. Yeah. I, my memory of it was better than it is. Yeah. Mm. So I'd rather leave it as that memory. Totally. Yeah, <laughs> actually. Because, I, I mean. Yeah, like that's that's like why I don't listen to the Blue album really. <laughs> you know, it's a safe like, call. <laughs> totally. I mean, it's I'm sure it's still great, and I would, I yeah, I can't. I'm not gonna tell anybody not to listen to it, but it's just like it kind of was like such a, you know, you just kind of, it's kind of like if you met your f- some of your friends from when you were 15, you you might be kind of like. You know, <laughs> yeah, let down a little bit by some of them. Well, because you're yeah, a different like, person. When it you're is. 15, it's certainly right? a risk. Like maybe there's a reason we lost touch. You know, <laughs> yeah. and uh, yeah, because like I mean, there's things like like I'm like I I'll still you know revisit like Elliot Smith, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. probably twice a year and just be like, yep, really still. Well, some of it's just sort of. I don't want to say objectively good because nothing in songwriting is ever objective, but it's as close as it can get. Like that's just those are just really well, well crafted. Yeah, he's a, performed yeah, songs. He's amazing. So that yeah. was an early influence on you. Actually, yeah, hugely. Um, and uh, that, I mean, and I actually, this is, it's cool that I, I'm remembering this, that we're, like, we're talking about this now, because I, I went back and I watched, uh, I don't know, I, it's funny, it's, it's it's almost like when, when you're like, you like something that is sort of universally regarded as, as good, you, you kind of like wish that you had a, like a really good story of like how you got into it. But like mm-hmm. the first time I heard Elliot Smith was in the Royal Tenenbaums and I'm sure that's the experience for 90% really? of Elliot Smith. Of course. Yeah. yeah. And that, you know, that scene is really powerful. And I, I actually watched that movie again yesterday for the first time in probably six or seven years. Did and, it stand up? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's a great. Movie. More actually. Yeah. I like I got, mm. I got more out of it. And, and that was one that I had the DVD and I, 
Yeah, I, I would, don't think I've seen it in about five years. Oh my god, I I used to like with the DVD. I would like stop and I would rewind and I would watch like certain little five second segments <laughs> like over and over <laughs> and over because they're so amazing. Like there's this scene where where Royal goes to the he goes to the second floor and he wants to take Ari and Uzi, who are his uh, Chaz's sons, out. Um, like you know, on like the. Uh, well, they just have their like adventures, like stealing milk from the corner store and stuff, and uh, and <laughs> and it's just like you barely notice it. But I remember the first time I noticed, I was like, "Oh my god, it's so good!" There's like they're in the foreground, and then their dad is way in the background, <laughs> and uh, and like one of the kids is like he's like writing down something, he's like calculating something on a calculator, and there's this moment where he like gestures backward with his pen, and he's kind of like scrunches his face, and he's like, <laughs> you know, dad's here, and it's like. <laughs> It, like you totally it's easy to miss it but like there's that movie's just like chock full of yeah, it has a lot of that that yeah. type of stuff in it's it. so great um but yeah and it's it's funny because like actually now that i'm thinking of it i feel like elliot smith into uh royal tenham like into like wes anderson like it's such a there's something sort of um there's a sensibility there because oh. i'm curious about yeah. um when like at what age did you start writing songs i guess well i started writing I started writing songs uh, shortly after I, um, I guess shortly after I started to learn guitar, and that was and I and that was because I had um, I'd been playing trumpet um, in the just school band, and we had this, this substitute teacher, and I actually it would be really amazing if somehow somehow I could look back at the like teaching records like who was on which day because this guy you know as far as like having a singular influence like as far as like changing the course of my life this Mm. just like kind of paunchy like kind of super uncool guy like when (laughs) i think back on him i I thought he was kind of gross actually like i didn't think he was cool it was just that he came into the class and he was like, Hey, I'm Mr. Whatever. And I'll be your substitute teacher today. And I'm just, I just wanted to show you guys some cool stuff. And it was just stuff that our, our sort of band teacher hadn't kind of got, he hadn't really talked about. And he, cause he had just been like, okay, so if you're a trumpet player, here's your sheet music and blah, blah, oh, yeah. blah. And he'd be like, okay, we're going to try this one. Bare minimum. Yeah. Well, I mean, not even like, I think he did a great, I can't, I can't even remember his name, but I, I, I wouldn't say he did a bad job. And he was like, he joked with us and he was great, but it's okay. just this, this guy kind of came in and you know, some teachers kind of like, they have their kind of shtick and they're like, they're kind of in, they're like, whatever. And his, yeah, it's a bit like musicians on the stage. You, you got a certain persona about you. Yeah, exactly. So his, his persona was like, he's like, you guys want to see something cool. So like that was kind of, <laughs> and so, oh, that, that could have gone a lot really of ways. Creepy. Yeah, well, so in different contexts. Well, so he, he seemed like. I remember when I was watching him and this, I was just like, oh, this guy's so annoying. But the stuff that he but showed he us, he kind of changed my life. Because I, I had, until this point, and I might have been 12 or 11, or I I wish I had a better uh, timeline here. But um, he, it was the first time that I had consciously separated the electric bass from the electric guitar in my brain. Ah. Uh-huh. And so he was like, have you ever seen an electric bass before? And I had never, I'm sure I had, of course I had seen and listened to the electric bass. Yeah. 
tons of times because I just know that I'll, you know, like one of my first favorite bands, like I was, I was listening to Nirvana when they were coming out. I was too young to, you know, I was, you know, I was mm-hmm. probably wearing, I was wearing diapers at the time. How, how old are you? I'm 25. So, uh, you know, I, I, I remember actually the conversation when my dad told me that, that Kurt Cobain, uh, killed himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that actually, I mean, that's kind of a heavy, you know, I was, I was like, we I have these memories of my dad, like throwing me in the air while we were listening to Nevermind. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know, so, uh, yeah, I, 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 I was 10 when he died. So I missed it a bit too. I was a bit too young for it. I'm 30 now. Yeah. So yeah. you were only five mm-hmm. and your dad yeah. says, Hey son, Kurt Cobain killed himself. I think, you know, I think he might've waited. I think he, he might've actually waited until, <laughs> waited like, until you were like starting to be a fan of the music. Or? Well, I was, I think I was always a fan. Cause I thought I, my word, my name for smells like teen spirit was the mosquito song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so it was, it's kind of funny because for me, it was, you know, my dad would just like crank it super loud and just like, we would just like dance yeah. around the house and he'd be like throwing me in the air. Like he was like picking me up at this time. Mm-hmm. And this is like, these are some of my earliest memories actually. Um, and it was, I, th- I think the only word I really picked up on was the mosquito mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and like, you know, he's just like. There's like with the lights off. It's 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 it is actually kind of a it's a bit of a nursery rhymey kind of song yeah. in some yeah, ways, which is. is like what works about it because it's like that's like all, a lot of Nirvana's music is very much like that. It just mm-hmm. has that. It's like you can so you can almost form. always sort of remember the lyrics even if you don't know the song. Yeah, like what you did you follow along? What did you call it? Strokeic? Isn't that the word? I've never Stro- heard this term. Yeah, yeah, what is that? When you have a whole song where it's just like one thing, like one pattern that gets repeated, like oh, when yeah. you don't have it segmented into verse, chorus, and bridge. Right. Mm. Yeah. Not that I'm an expert on this. No, but it's <laughs> that's a, I, I'm I'm gonna go and do some. I'll read about that later on. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Wikipedia, yeah, music <laughs> students. But it it kind of. Uh, you know, like it kind of works for like it's a bit of a a kid song in some ways. Well, that was mm-hmm. the great tension of Nirvana of Kurt Cobain, it's right? Like, is that he was writing these poppy hooks, but was trying his best not to be poppy. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> see, I missed out because for me, I'm the youngest of four, and Nirvana was filtered through my older siblings. Right, it was the music they listened to. Right, so, so I wasn't didn't allowed get to, to like it. You know, in my own way, <laughs> yeah. right. I was like, oh, how old are my you? My older sisters like that, but I'm 27. Right, so it's like, so I had to find my own. Ooh, that was a peak. I had to find my own music um, just to differentiate myself from them because we didn't get along when I was a kid. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of, I mean, I guess we're all kind of in the same zone in, in some ways of just like, you know, you, it's like this thing that's, it's, a, it's important to you, but it kind of. It hung over us in a weird way. Like, I, I, that's the way I've always felt about Nirvana. I've always liked it, but it kind of, I didn't come into it really until I was much older because yeah, we I was too, too young at the time. But it kind of hung over everyone. Mm-hmm. Like, it, I remember people you know, maybe a year or two older than me who were dressing all in flannel. And then, you know, people even my age that were like, oh, I miss Kurt Cobain. It's like, you were nine when he died. How do you possibly miss Kurt Cobain? Yeah. <laughs> and, but but there's just, it sort of hung over the entire way that we felt about music, I think, because it was it's such an important Yeah, and, and I think particularly Kurt Cobain's death was an extremely important mm-hmm. for the development of the music of, you know, like the 2000s. Mm-hmm. It left a void... In all these record labels, that's when they started picking up all these shitty punk bands out of garages mm-hmm. and stuff because they were looking for the next Nirvana. Right, mm-hmm. and then that ended up shaping, you know, my childhood. Still it was, shaping was what's pop happening. Punk and Green Day and 
yeah. all those. That's yeah. that's a yeah, it's a weird thing. Um, and it's funny because I I had a grade school teacher in my in eighth grade, so I was I guess about twelve. Um, who goes, Derek? I need to talk to you one morning. And he goes, Joey Ramon died. Whoa. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know who that is. And he's like, Don't you like <laughs> punk music? And I'm like, Yeah. And he goes, Oh, oh. you don't like punk music. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Oh man. That's, I mean, there's so much. It's funny how there's like so much shame in like being young sometimes because you're like, you're like, I don't know about that. Yeah. Like, yeah. Hey, and you're just like, no one told me. Come yeah. on. And that Give me whole. A break. And I think the whole like 10 to 25 part of life is all about trying to know everything yeah mm-hmm. and, and then, so you there is this deep shame where you're like oh <laughs> totally. and i've only recently gotten over that oh man yeah i'm yeah it's well i was very late to the to the radiohead game too i was well into my 20s i think before i well maybe not well into like 21 22 before i really discovered radiohead and so that was only you know nine ten years ago mm. and i had that same shame and people would be like oh you must listen to radiohead it's like well not really you know, it's a, it took me a really yeah, long time to get totally. into some of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're I mean, we're talking about a lot of my like these like things that I guess there's this there is a bit of a like these these actually like Nirvana and like Elliot Smith and like Radiohead are I feel like I have this like this like Mount Rushmore of my head <laughs> that has like these and it's probably more than four heads, but it just kind of is whenever I write a song there's this thing that I'm trying to, I'm actually trying to get away from it in some ways where I'm kind of part of me needs to imagine that at least one of those guys would have liked the song. (laughs) And, and it's like, it's, it's a little bit, it's, you know, it's, I was, I was talking to a friend of mine about this, about specifically about Elliot Smith. Um, And it's funny because like, I feel like just like my takeaway from like reading his biography and just like interviews I've seen it just like, I don't see him as a super judgmental guy at all. Like he just seems like a really, like he just, he, he want, he just seemed like really nice mm-hmm. and he, you know, obviously had a lot of whatever, like he, it's the, the whole story has been told about Elliot Smith. I don't need to repeat it cause it's not, I don't know anything about it really, but um, there is this kind of, you know, because he's like such a monstrously genius songwriter that you, you, you know, you, you, um, I guess my friend kind of articulated this thing that I, I kind of almost felt too ashamed to to have said first, probably, was that everything she does, she kind of has to tell herself that he would have approved. Mm. <laughs> huh. And and like, I was like, wow, thank you for saying that. <laughs> wow. Because yeah. I, I can say it. <laughs> because I totally understand that feeling. It's and a me too thing. That was, and it's totally the me too thing. And, um, and there, it's this, it's, I don't know. I, those are, those are the weird, I feel like those are the the voices in, in your head that are the hardest to shake. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I don't really care whether like my, like I'm, you know, I'm really, I'm gl- both my parents are really supportive, but I, if they like or don't like a song, it doesn't, Isn't that important. it doesn't really bug me. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I would like them to like it, Yeah. but it's, I don't. On at the end of the day, it's like I, it's not like I see there. I don't. They're just like that's not the kind of parents. They're that not hanging over your shoulder. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think they did a. They were very psychologically. I mean, consciously trying to stay out of the Rushmore of my brain in some okay. ways. <laughs> like I think they they they're they're really supportive and they 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 like to hear about me doing good stuff and they're they. I think they would probably be really happy to know that I don't. 
you know, I, I don't like hear their voices. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need their yeah. approval yeah. and everything. I, the reason I think I agree that those voices are hard to shake, um, the ones that you're always trying to live up to. But I mm-hmm. think the reason for that is that early on, as a creator, I think those voices are actually very important. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. you, you, you don't want to just make something and be like, here, look at this. Unless, it at least li- unless you have at least some standards that you're trying to live up to. Um, yeah. Otherwise, you'll never... If you think everything you make is good, that's, that's what I'm, I guess what I'm getting at. But, well, but in some, but that's a, that's a, hmm. that's interesting because I sometimes, I, I, I love to wonder what it would be like to be a songwriter before recorded music. Mm, mm. That's an interesting thought. Because just, and like, and, th- and I'm like, and this is something that sort of, uh, I mean, it's, it's neat that we haven't we haven't even talked about this yet. Cause like I, you know, I, I'd say my first instrument, it's not first chronologically, but I bring my banjo everywhere. Yeah. Um, it's your primary instrument. You mean? Yeah. It's my primary instrument. Um, and so I'm, and I, I have been really influenced by, and only very shortly after being really into the sort of like Elliot Smith, Radiohead and Nirvana kind of like trifecta, which probably includes some other things, but those is kind of like, stand out in my brain as like maybe the things that I was trying to emulate the most when I was picking up a guitar, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which <laughs> I don't know, probably it probably, it probably actually sp- sp- comes out more in the kind of like chord choices. Yeah. More so I was going to say it's more in the structure. I yeah. Then, then really the lyrics. It, I mean, it ultimately you're playing folk music. Yeah. Well, it's like in, in a way, like it, it has, there's, there's, a, a, there's a strong roots presence. Yeah. Yeah. And instrumentally, I mean, instrumentally and so yeah and this is something that I, I feel like i could talk well i mean your program is only an hour long but i could just like oh uh, there's no time there's i no could time. bore your top of your head off with just like my thoughts about uh you know f- like folk like to me that word either <laughs> means so much or it means absolutely nothing because like yeah there is a certain I agree with that like there's a certain degree where i feel like the idea of folk music at l- is like it's i feel like maybe it coexisted with mass communication for a few decades and now it it exists it has slowly dissolved well, since then it kind of exists on uh, like like if the you know if there's parts of the world where the, there actually are people who don't even know anybody that owns a computer then or like i i, I don't know i'd like to i'd like to have a to to know a bit more what i'm saying before i say <laughs> that kind of thing but <laughs> Um, I do, I just kind of feel like, you know, when I listen to like field recordings from even the sixties, like, but from like, you know, earlier in the uh, 20th century, I I just, I kind of like, it's, it's weird to, it's, it's interesting to think that these people who are singing such old songs, like, um, that are sort of passed down between like you know, even just their, their whole musical experience is like maybe only in one little town in West Virginia and maybe the surrounding two or three towns. And like, that's all, that's kind of all they know about. Mm -hmm. That's all there is. That's all there is. And just to just, it's, but you can still kind of hear that they're like innovating Mm -hmm. and that they're, they're, they're using the, the, the sort of the, all of, you can hear that they have a, a really huge, well of creativity in themselves Mm. and that they're using the available tools. And I think, I really think that 
what tools are available to you doesn't make you a better or worse artist. I think it's just whether you're a better or worse artist, worse artist, because I just am not less excited by people who have less tools. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it's just, I, I can, you can even like, you can hear that they're using all the tools that they have and, or like that they're, they're pulling out all the stops. Like, it's just really, I want to hear people pulling out all the stops, I guess. You know, I think that's what Fish and Bird does, and that's one of the reasons why I think they're such a great band. Uh, they really do pull out all the stops. They use whatever tools available to them. They're so unrestricted by uh, genre conventions, and uh, I find that really refreshing and just fun. Like, it's adventurous. It's fun to listen to. In part two of the Taylor Ashton episode of I Quit My Job, we're going to get into the detail of uh, Fish and Bird particularly and also what Taylor's doing now and where he's going to go from here with Fish and Bird and otherwise. We kind of go through each album individually and also Taylor finishes telling that story about the substitute high school or substitute grade school teacher who changed his life that we kind of just lost track of in this first part. We're going to go back there, go back to that story, bring him back to his childhood and, you know, talk about how he met uh, how he met Adam, the fiddle player, and, and each individual member of Fish and Bird and where they are now. Actually, I think they just got back from England, but uh, in a less literal sense. So that episode will be coming up next in the next couple of days and keep an eye out for it, but Two weeks from today, our next guest is Rachel Cardiello, who I actually met when she opened for Taylor Ashton at the Monarch Tavern here in Toronto just a few months ago. She's a fantastic songwriter, a fantastic performer, and just a super cool person that we just really had a good time talking to. So check that out in two weeks. I quit my job. I quit my job. I quit my job. I'm free today. 